You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, it's been a momentous week in British politics. Uh, the advent of a new prime minister always is. Boris Johnson has now finally achieved his dream of becoming uh, Britain's prime minister. But what happens next? On this week's podcast, we're going to be looking over the potential scenarios for that and also what the numbers say about where we go from here. And as ever, I'm joined by co-host Leo Brassi to look at the numbers. Leo, welcome. Hello, Kieran. So before we get into some data, which is kind of what we do, um, what was your reaction to uh, events this week? So, look, I think there's no surprise that Johnson won. Um, the YouGov poll of Tory members had been pretty clear that that was going to happen. And um, I think YouGov have been so accurate with it in the past that there was no reason to doubt that they would get it right this time. I think the interesting thing has been very much what he's done since he he came in and what he's done with the cabinet. So I think uh, it, his choice of people to put around him seems very clearly to set his intentions and set his direction. Um, and we could talk about whether or not we think that he's going to be taking it in the direction of an election. It's very clear that he's taking it in the direction of a hard, uncompromising Brexit. Yeah, it certainly felt like a confident start to his time in office when you consider the fact that he has no meaningful parliamentary majority of any sort. He's certainly been quite bold. I mean, I do often think people seem to, to forget the, 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 the how, just how precarious the Tories are in Parliament at the moment. It's not just a case of not having a majority, but of course, they don't have one at all without the DUP, and they've been very, very quiet. So, I mean, that's going to be one to watch as well, isn't it? Yeah, look, obviously, it's entirely wafer-thin, but he's presenting an image here, and the image he's presenting is of confidence and of being able to do what he wants to do and being able to uh, make reality bend to his will. So uh, I think it makes complete sense for him to uh, come in and say, we can do this rather than to be timid about it in terms of um, saying and communicating what he wants. I mean, I thought Jeremy Hunt not being in the cabinet was quite surprising. Um, clearly someone that, you know, he won what about a third of the vote in the membership. So, you know, has his constituency there, uh, or, or at least his, you know, the non-Johnson uh, brand of uh, Tory politics has its constituency. I mean, I'm not sure if Hunt was sacked, but any person that um, leaves the government is now a potential rebel in theory. Um, so they'll, they'll say warm words at the beginning, but you know, in the future, who uh, who knows? So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It very much was uh, struck me as a very uh, sort of bold, shall we say, reshuffle. But then, you know, probably quite an effective one as well. I mean, he, we came out of uh, this reshuffle with a very clear identity for the government. Very clear. Um, it seemed to be quick and painless at the moment. So, you know, he'll be reasonably pleased with how it's gone, I think, for the first couple of days anyway. Well, it just feels like the whole thing was always going to be a high wire act. And it's always been the case for him that something could easily knock him off course and just uh, bring the whole thing down. So uh, if he succeeds, if he gets the Brexit that um, the party will go for and that allows him to present himself as how he succeeded, then in a way, the parliament and and the government is his oyster. If he fails, well, it's like it doesn't matter that there were another few critics on the back benches. It sort of, uh, it's, it's triumph or disaster and I guess a timid, un, uh, unbold, unconfident approach where he was compromising was probably never going to get him where he needed to. It certainly feels like a vote, I mean, it's been portrayed as a vote leave takeover of the government and it feels a bit like that with Dominic Cummings, um, uh, sort of very big story him taking over as a senior advisor uh, to the prime minister 
Um, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg is now in the government. Um, so that, you know, everyone's within the tent, apart from, it seems, uh, Steve Baker. It came out this evening that it looks like he's not actually taking a role in the government. So maybe some warning signs there. But um, the, the, the first thing you hear about this week is Boris Johnson taking over. The second thing you hear about is speculation about an election. So let's talk a bit about that. I mean, one way an election could come about... Um, sooner rather than later, as if there's a vote of no confidence in the government. And given that it doesn't really have much of a majority, that has to be something that's on their minds. Um, there was an interesting tweet from Laura Coonsberg today, um, sharing some uh, a briefing from the House of Commons Library, which suggested actually the, the opportunity uh, for Parliament to uh, bring the government down with a vote of no confidence in time to stop a no-deal Brexit is actually pretty slim. Um, Parliament obviously rises today, so we're not going to get a vote of no confidence until the autumn, unless for some reason Parliament comes back. Um, I don't see that as very likely, but you know who knows. Um, and if there is a vote of no confidence in early September, then then if you follow the maths, uh, it looks like a sort of on October election, maybe October the twenty fourth is about the earliest you're going to get it, uh, at least through that avenue. Um, it's a bit different if the Prime Minister calls one himself. So I guess long story short, um, people can argue over the niceties of a fixed term Parliament Act uh, and, and an election caused through a vote of no confidence uh, under that Act, but it doesn't seem like it's very easy for Parliament to. Uh, bringing the government down as a means to stop uh, a no-deal Brexit. There might be other ways, but it certainly strikes me that they're running out of time if they want to bring the government down that way, or at least before before uh, October 31st. Well, so I guess there's two things to say there. So, yeah, I guess the timetable that you suggested there does, in the very most tenuous of theories, suggest that there could be a vote of no confidence that brings the government down, and then there could be another government that comes in just in time to be able to ask for an extension or do something different with the EU, but there's a lot of things that could go wrong there, and it's a very narrow approach. I guess the other option, theoretically on the table, would be for Parliament to have a vote of no confidence in him, and then some kind of alternative government to arise from the Commons that could get an extension and maybe there wouldn't be enough parliamentary support for anything other than getting an extension and then it has to have a general election. I don't know. I mean, it's it's theoretically possible, I suppose, but pretty hard to we were, see given the complete lack of precedent for anything like that. We were talking off air, weren't we, about some 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 journalists and commentators have been watching The West Wing too much. I mean, great great show though it is, of course. But I mean, the likely, you know, you can make an argument for why um, a vote of no confidence is lost, certainly. But then for for those people to then all back another government uh, within the current parliamentary math feels a bit unlikely. I mean, I've seen... Some yeah, it's s- like giving the mandate to Ken Clark to get an extension from Brussels on the basis yeah. he'll then immediately resign and call the general and election. And I saw, I saw Keir Starmer mentioned as well, but it's like, I, I just don't see how you get... You, I, I can see how you can get, I don't know, 330-odd to vote down the government. I can't see how you get those same 330 to vote for something else. Um, so that doesn't seem <laughs> well, very likely. I mean, but here is the argument for that, right? If if their sole purpose in bringing down the government is to stop a no-deal exit, and if the timetable of that means that an election wouldn't actually happen until after the end of October, then bring down the government would then mean a no deal exit presumably so if the only if the only way then to stop a no deal if the government weren't asked for an extension is to create your own government who will ask an extension and if there is a majority to stop no deal then i get that it's entirely absurd and feels incredibly hard to imagine 
but what else would that majority do? But who who is this majority though, right? So it's Labour, SNP. It's, it's basically it's all the it's opposition. Basically, ev- everyone plus twenty Tory MPs, isn't it, to be able to get that majority? I mean, it feels entirely fanciful. Yeah, certainly does. Another way of an election coming about is if the Prime Minister wants one and calls one, and people can talk about whether or not the opposition would vote for one. Here, I must say, I, I, I get a, a bit sceptical about the implications of the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. I, I can't see, and I'm sure people are shouting at the uh, uh, the uh, podcast uh, app that they're listening to this on uh, about this, but I can't see how the um, the opposition doesn't vote for an election, personally. Well, I mean, with uh, uh, the amount of times that Labour have said that we need a general election now, of course they're going to vote for it. So yeah. if the Tories and Labour are voting for it, then it's happening, isn't it? Exactly. So you can see an argument that says Johnson goes to Brussels, doesn't get what he wants, says Parliament um, is... Uh, you know, th- th- there's an impasse, I need your permission, I need your mandate or whatever, and then it calls an election on uh, to, to back him, basically, and to... Or there's a scenario where it looks like um, Parliament's going to cause real problems and, and try and block no deal in some way. I mean, again, the legal niceties of that notwithstanding. And he- but that does bring us back to what we were just talking about, though, right? I mean, uh, sorry to interrupt, but, it, but you, we can kind of glibly say Parliament blocks no deal. But what does that now actually mean? If we're approaching the end of October, Parliament blocking no deal, that is basically just uh, an election, isn't it? I mean, there are ultimately is no other way of blocking it. Yeah, it's, it's one I'm not sure about, I must admit. But let's say there's, there's a reason why Boris Johnson wants to call an election. Either he just doesn't think, he thinks um, Brussels isn't going to play ball and therefore he needs permission for, for something, a mandate for something. So he wants mm. an election. Well, of course, I mean, there's no deal and there's no deal, right? There's mm. a completely chaotic, unplanned no deal and there's um, what we have to call a managed no deal. Um, and I guess even Johnson with the backing of the ERG wouldn't want the completely unplanned no deal. So I suppose what he'd be looking for is Parliament to be able to pass all the necessary legislation to uh, make the planning less chaotic. And I suppose one of the things people do say, which I have some sympathy with, is that regardless of what happens on October the 31st and uh, you know, what happens with uh, no confidence votes and so on, an election does feel uh, like it's going to happen in the next 12 months or so because simply there is no majority. So it's eventually that will tell. We'll come on to Brecon and the by-election there later on. But, I mean, these majorities have a habit of continuously whittling down. So eventually there's going to be, you know, pushes are going to come to shove and Johnson's going to want uh, want an election or, be, or have one forced upon him. Um, he might find, but he might fancy his chances, right? So this is going to be the second way there's an election. Either there's no yeah, and of course, of course the argument him. is right now he is probably at the best point in terms of popularity that he's going to be right? Or at least in the first couple of weeks. I mean, prime ministers tend to peak pretty early and get less popular. So if he comes in and says, this is what I want to do, and then very, very quickly finds a reason to to have an election, that's arguably better for him than trying trying to get stuff, finding the Brexit parties calling him a traitor, finding the, um, the centre-right of the Tory party are calling him uh, reckless and he feels squeezed from both sides and finds that he has to go to an election somewhat battered. Arguably better to do it right now, seeing all of this coming up. Yeah, and I think one of the assets he's got, at least in his numbers at the moment, one of the strengths is that uh, he's more he, uh, he's more uh, of a credible prime minister than uh, Jeremy Corbyn, at least in the eyes of public opinion polls. So you've had a poll out this week that shows... Uh, 
in an answer in response to the question, which of the following do you think would make the best prime minister? 38% choose Johnson and uh, 20% choose Corbyn. 38% don't know or aren't sure. Um, 3% refused. And this backs up a similar picture that we found when we said uh, last month, who do you think would make the most capable prime minister? Uh, Boris Johnson, 51%, Corbyn, 33 So there is a sort of strength there, and he will fancy his chances, Johnson, if he goes uh, to a general election campaign, head-to-head versus Corbyn. You know, he'll, he'll fancy his chances of coming out on top. The one caveat to that, though, is that when we look at the only poll we've seen this week um, from YouGov, uh, Tories on 25, uh, Lib Dem on 23, Labour 19, Brexit Party 17. So what on earth that produces in terms of uh, seats, any, anybody's guess. But it was because uh, was, the Lib Dems are in second there, not Labour. But what was striking was that the Lib Dems uh, have gone up a bit since Boris Johnson took over, um, but Labour down, Tories about flat. So, <coughs> I mean, there, there, there isn't, there uh, something isn't... else has happened to Lib Dems as well, uh, well yes. since their previous poll, we should say. Let, let's get there in a minute. But um point is that, I mean, People assume that this bounce is coming for the for the Tories, and I think that's a fair assumption, but it might not, right? I mean, it might be that actually what you gain with the Brexit party hand, you lose with the Lib Dem hand. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I guess the but I guess there's a question of whether the large share of the damage to the Lib Dems has already been done. Um, I suppose if I was... Can we just take a moment briefly before you go on to reflect on the fact that the Lib Dems are currently polling in second place with some pollsters and they're in the 20s, uh, considering where they were, what, six months ago? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, 23% in that latest YouGov. Um, They had been on 23 and 24 in previous YouGovs. Uh, just immediately after European Parliament election. But yeah, I mean, clear, clear yellow water, orange water between them and Labour, um, which... We'll leave um, yellow well, water to one well, side. Well, I mean, actually, why, why don't we, before before we come on to, to what I was going to talk about, about the squeeze, um, I think there is a debate here, right? Um, obviously, Labour supporters on Twitter in particular um, are arguing that our perception of the polling landscape is skewed by the prevalence of YouGov polls. Uh, so uh, for those who aren't looking at it closely, probably you could say about half of all the pol- political polls that are produced at the moment are YouGov polls. YouGov polls tend to put Labour on a lower score than most of the other pollsters. So um, some Labour loyalists on Twitter are saying, well, you know, YouGov are unfairly biased against Labour. If you take the average um, of all the pollsters, the picture is much better for Labour. I mean, just scanning it now, I can see that the latest Comres, Servation uh, and Opinion, in fact, all had Labour winning, whereas the latest YouGov that we've just mentioned had Labour in third and six points behind the Tories. Now, my understanding, Anthony Wells, um, wonderful man, um, fantastic, lovely analyst of polling that he is, has quite uh, helpfully put um, uh, explanation of what's going on here in the public domain, which is essentially, as I understand it, about waiting to pass to vote. So, or um, what, how people say that they voted in the last election. So, put simply, people tend to forget, get wrong. Um, deliberately or unintentionally how they voted in the last election if you uh, try and weight your polling to uh, be accurate for the last election then that can get that can uh, be unrepresentative because you're doing it on the basis of what people say that they did and that's what a lot of the polling agencies do you gov because they got a panel and they know what people said they did two years ago 
then they can wait to what people actually did two years ago. So uh, YouGov are arguing, actually, they have a more accurate sense because they're not um, uh, taking into account this false recall. And currently, the consequence of the false recall is that fewer people are saying that they voted Labour in the last election than actually did. So long-winded way of saying it, there's quite a difference between the pollsters. It's technical but actually quite important because it's painted a picture of Labour leading versus Labour being quite far behind. That, that's certainly an interesting analysis. Very effusive praise, I should say, Leo, for Anthony Wells there. I mean, he's a nice guy, but uh, do you owe him money or something? I mean, what was it? You lovely, a lovely man? <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't possibly comment. Oh, dear. Anyway, I mean, the past on the past fight waiting thing, just as an aside, um, given that I'm part of the Ipsos political team. Uh, we, we don't wait by past vote at all. Uh, and we have Labour in second place. So I'm not sure. And now we're also on the telephone. So there's all sorts of different things there. And last month we didn't prompt for the Brexit party. So there's, there's a couple of other things going on. But I, I wonder whether past vote waiting is necessarily exactly what's going on there. We, we had last month we had uh, Tories 26, Labour 24, Lib Dems 22, Brexit party 12, Greens 8. But um yeah, I mean, I, I, the whole thing's interesting. I I just think we need to look at what happens in the polling in the next couple of weeks, obviously, uh, to see sort of what the impact is. I'd be surprised if there's no bounce at all, but I wonder whether it's going to be as conclusive as people think. And it's worth bearing in mind that Theresa May had a 20-point lead or so, or thereabouts, 15 to 20-point leads in some polls before she called an election. Um, I don't know, I feel there's a certain sense that this is a, 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 an election this autumn is, is more of a gimme for the Tories, and maybe it is. Um, you know. Which is really interesting, right? Because, as you say, last last time the Tories had a commanding polling lead and they nervously found themselves edging into it. This time they don't have a polling lead and it seems like they might be galloping into it thinking that this is their chance to to destroy Labour and secure a commanding polling lead. Um, Personally, I think it depends a bit on what the Brexit party does. And there's some speculation about some kind of deal with Nigel Farage. Uh, between Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage, I'm always sceptical those things are going to work. I mean, how does, an, uh, how does a formal electoral pact between the Brexit Party and the Tories really work in practice? I'm not sure. And you mentioned yourself earlier that, you know, it doesn't take a lot for suddenly um, things, the sort of harmony that's broken out this week to break down very, very quickly once Johnson starts trying to renegotiate with the European Union. If he does bring another deal back and there's something on paper to vote on that can create controversy too, doesn't have this majority... Um, and so on and so forth. So it's not hard to see how that all kind of uh, that all kind of breaks down. Um, and then, we, then if we end up in an election situation, um, all those other things around the NHS, education, austerity, generally these sorts of things come to the fore as well. So I, I just think there's it's, it's it is clear how the Tories would win an election. They unite the Leave vote against a fractured Remain vote. And a resurgent, you know, and um, and Johnson's preferred as prime minister to Jeremy Corbyn. It's very clear that that is a tangible outcome, but I think people are sort of leaping to conclusions a little bit that that's what would happen, and we don't know that it is. Yeah, exactly. So we've got a set of four parties that at the very most have 13 points between them, at the very least have six points between them in the last few few polls. So it's entirely hypothetical that Johnson can 
squeeze the Brexit vote much more effectively than Corbyn can squeeze the Lib Dem vote, which is essentially what um, the proposition is here. I mean, it's ironic we talk about Corbyn squeezing Lib Dem vote rather than Swinson squeezing the Labour vote. Mm. Um, but I think that's that's still where we are. Um, One other thing before you go on as well that we haven't talked about, which is important, is Scotland. And is it clear that Boris Johnson uh, and uh, being Prime Minister is going to help Ruth Davidson and the Scottish Tories? I don't think that's very likely, right? So, and every every seat that's um, taken off the um, off the Tory total, if you like, becomes a sort of opposition seat, doesn't it? So, for, for example, the better the SNP do, um, as long as the Tories lose seats, shall we say, that's that helps the kind of uh, anti-Tory coalition, for one of a better phrase. So, again, look, I, I, without repeating myself, I get how. I get how the Tories would win a snap election. I just don't think it's anything like the gimme that people think it is. Right. So I think to answer this, we have to look a bit at what the electoral battleground actually looks like in practice. Uh, so I was having a bit of a play around with this earlier, and I was looking at the uh, Tories' marginals, both with Labour and the Lib Dems, where either the seats are quite heavily leave or where the seats are quite heavily remain. So what I noticed was um, for Labour held seats that are Tory targets, if you look at the the marginals, so f- uh, lead of less than 5,000 for, Tor- for Labour over the Tories, if you look at quite leavey seats, so le- seats that are more than 55% leave, there are 27 of those seats. So 27 Labour held marginals with the Tories that are quite leavey. Um, and uh, if you look at the reverse, Tory held seats where... Uh, Labour in second with a small majority that are quite remaining. There are only five. So essentially, if you think the Tories can do better among Leave voters, Labour could do better among Remain voters in those direct Labour-Tory marginals. In principle, just quite crudely, that's 27 targets for the Tories against only five targets for Labour. So you can see a sort of an immediate appeal for the Tories there. If you look at the Lib Dem version of that, actually, it's much more even. So there's only two... Um, Lib Dem held seats that are quite levy where they've got a small majority over the Tories, but actually only three Tory held seats where there's a small majority over the Lib Dems uh, that are quite remaining. So essentially Tory Lib Dem um, could roughly balance out. I think where it gets quite different, as you suggested, is in Scotland. Um, and I think if if Boris Johnson does take the Tories in much more of an explicit uh, uh, leave direction, as obviously does seem to be the case, then those Tory seats in Scotland, I think, do seem like they would be more at risk. I think it's probably worth digging into that a bit more. But um, well, also the yeah, thing about I, Scotland, I is, is, Scotland's the question about Scotland is not obviously only about um, Brexit, is it? So it's it's also about uh, the, the the union and that sort of thing. But no, I guess the point no, is, but, but but I think I think the the kind of the the point for this question is look at the moment. Johnson has a majority of what minus ten, minus twenty for a for a no deal. If you think about the to- the Tory no dealers, so he has to both overcome that and gain a fairly large number of seats. So you can begin to see how he can do that from Labour, but once you start then losing some seats to the SNP or or maybe to Labour in Scotland, then that task just seems really difficult. He's got to got to do pretty well in the election he's got to come out of it with a large majority of 
pro-no-deal MPs. So it's, you've got to think about taking off some of the some of the MPs who would probably keep their seats who are quite remaining. Final, final, final point, um, just on Labour. Uh, we were talking a bit about them earlier. I mean, d- despite what I was saying about how I, I wouldn't sort of take to the bank the idea that the Tories sort of walk any election, um, there there was a poll recently of Labour Party members among uh, by YouGov, which showed um, that the Labour Party membership, which obviously now extremely pro Corbyn, uh, if you look at how it voted in twenty sixteen in the leadership election and so forth. Um, Total think that uh, Labour members think he's doing well, fifty four percent. Total me- uh, total of the Labour membership think he's doing badly, forty five percent. So, um, you know, Labour membership not quite as uh, um, enamoured with Jeremy Corbyn at the moment. Not to say for a second that they're going to get rid of him or anything like that. But um, still, there's 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 a disquiet among the the grassroots there. Yeah, I mean, you say disquiet, but they still pretty comfortably support him and as i recall their favorability to him is still higher than it was when he beat owen smith i think off the top of my head so i mean it's it's you know of some interest but it's pretty hard to see there being a challenge isn't there oh again i don't want to you know leap to that conclusion but it was it was striking that um he has his critics shall we say at least at the moment um final 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 point um on Labour and the Lib Dems, and we, we have Joe Swinson now as the new Lib Dem leader. Uh, I noticed there was an awful lot of uh, furore about uh, you know, attacking her, attacking the Lib Dems, and so on. I mean, what do we think the best line for Labour actually is against the Lib Dems? Because um, it feels like that the uh, attack line that they were part of a coalition, um, sort, of, uh, sort of voted for austerity policies and that sort of thing, is a logical one to take. But you wonder just how effective that's going to be in this Brexit era that we live in at the moment um what do you think so it feels very much like a core vote strategy so uh it's what you say if you're trying to shore up your 25 percent who um really 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 don't uh, don't like anyone who isn't very pure labor um and just reminding them not even to consider dallying with the lib dems i think um where i would expect that labor's message would surely change around the time of an election is um to try and create a squeeze message and make the lib dem seem like an irrelevance rather than something that's toxic so mm-hmm. uh almost uh uh not exactly hug them close but uh something that says look we understand why you'd be thinking about them we get it you know they're they're nice and cuddly but look if you want to if you want to beat the tories the only way you can beat the tories is is to vote labor i mean you look at you know seats seats like the one i live in in tooting which is a uh, labor uh tory semi-marginal majority of a few thousand it used to be more marginal but the lib dem vote is in principle very high here because it's a very remaining seat now that's the kind of seat that you could see could be a bit scary for labor if um the spot for Corbyn starts drifting personally and people start thinking, well, Lib Dems, they're like Labour, but they're, uh, they don't have all of Labour's baggage. Why don't I just give them a vote? And, you know, it's it's sort of no harm done. So Labour's message surely, surely against Lib Dems has to be, look, only we can beat the Tories. If you want to get rid of Boris Johnson, it's us. So it's interesting. I mean, I guess, okay, they had to attack um, Swinson when she came in, but you would think that um, the real enemy in Labour's messaging will surely have to be Johnson to be able to enable that squeeze. I think it, it obviously will be in the end, but I did, I did find there was a lot of hand-wringing at the idea that one political party would attack another. I mean, I... I 
but sure, but wasn't the hand wringing that Labour were attacking Swinson more than they were attacking Johnson? And I guess in a way it does make sense because Johnson is already defined in the public eye. Swinson isn't, so you don't gain that much by attacking Johnson now. But you can presumably um, uh, establish how people see Swinson. Yeah, I mean that Swinson is a, a danger for Labour and the Tories too. On the bait, I think primarily because she's an unknown and, and she's got this opportunity now to define herself positively against, frankly, two leaders that are of the main two parties, uh, so Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, who aren't particularly popular. I mean, you, we can debate Joe, Boris Johnson's numbers because there's some ambiguity in them in part. But, you know, we still found that a majority of Brits in our, our most recent poll said he doesn't have what it takes to be prime minister. I'm sure that will change when our next poll comes out and he gets a bit of a boost. Corbyn's poll ratings have been done to death, but we all know they're very, you know, he's unpopular too. So by being almost none of the above, she has a great opportunity. I suppose what's going to be fascinating is going to be to see how Labour's Brexit policy continues to evolve and do they genuinely become this Remain party? Well, and this this week, I think they've again, um, uh, unnamed Labour spokesman, um, whose name may or may not be Seamus Milne, um, has very strongly insisted that Labour is not a Remain party and and so on. So it's interesting that they're continuing to not seek to, to take that space. Um, I mean, I guess the thing about Swinton is she probably won't be defined and well-known until there's an election. And um, as Lib Dems found last time, very much their cost with Farron, you can have a leader who looks okay on paper and people don't particularly object to, but when they're testing the election, suddenly people notice and pay attention and make their mind up. So in a way, maybe it doesn't actually matter that much what she does um, up until the election time, because that's that's the moment when people make their mind up about her. I think if I was Labour at the next election, I would just say the Lib Dems, you know, they, they rode back on tuition fees. How do you know they won't do the same on Brexit? I don't, I don't know if it'll work, but I can sort of see how that sort of line might help with the types of people that care most about Brexit. But that's that's for another day. Um, I just want to say I disagree before we finish well, here, but okay. we'll save that for another time. We'll save that for another time. We're running out of time. But um, as ever, thank you, Leo, for uh, your insights today. And thank you, uh, dear listener, uh, for tuning in this week. Hope you like what you hear. If you do, as ever, share us on social media. Give us a positive rating uh, on iTunes and all the podcast apps. It all helps uh, spread the word about the show. Uh, but for now, I'm going to lie down in a fridge because it's still absolutely sweltering here. Um, but for now, thanks for listening. <laughs>